Hey everyone, welcome back to Lash Boss Radio. I'm Shelby, your host, and we have just gotten back from Lash Boss Summit. It went so well. We already have pre-sale tickets going on for next year. I will dedicate a whole episode to just talking about how it went and what I would change and just some of the things that made me nervous or just how it all turned out. Uh, I have so many stories to share, um, but nonetheless, it went amazing. And I hope um, you guys have fun if you were there and you'll join us next year if you weren't there. Today's episode is with Michelle from Mish Aesthetics out in California, Southern California. We talk all about building clientele, mistakes that beginner artists make, raising prices, and so much more. She's got a product line, she has a salon, and she is a traveling trainer. So she's got so much going for her, and I thought she'd be the perfect guest to bring on um, to inspire those who are listening. So stay tuned, and here is Michelle. All right, Michelle, welcome to Lash Boss Radio. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to get to know you. Um, I'm sure all the listeners already know who you are, but can you just give us kind of just a brief how you started in the industry to walk us through how you got here today? What are all the steps in your lash journey that stick out most? Honestly, it's quite shocking to me because I never even thought I would be in the beauty industry. It all just started off with, I guess, boredom and depression. And I feel many of the people that I meet can relate to this. Um, moving to a new city, you get a little bored of doing the same routine. And so I had an extra bedroom, looked online to see what I can offer in this bedroom. And since getting lash extensions in college, lash extensions was my first choice. So I did take a class in 2018, while I was a full-time preschool teacher. And um, working as a preschool teacher, it's just a daytime job. So I had all this time after 3 p.m. to work on lash extensions in my own home, which was so convenient because I didn't have to drive anywhere else. And ever since being part-time lashing and part-time teaching, I fell in love with the lash business more and decided to not become like a secondary school teacher anymore, or sorry, a preschool teacher, and went to beauty school. After six, six or seven months of flashing part-time, I went to beauty school, became licensed in 2020, and the business just blew up from there. Product line, teaching, moving back to my original state, which is Southern California, and opened a beauty studio where I finally had my first apprentice. And now two years or three years later, I have a team of seven employees, a full product line and traveling around the States teaching. So that's my, my background. So when you were first starting lashing and you were transitioning out of teaching, were you waiting for a certain amount in the bank before you made the leap? Were you, did you, have a certain goal in mind before you officially stopped teaching? I think two months into lashing part-time, I made the same amount that I make in a month as a preschool teacher. And that was when it came to me that if I were to do this thing full-time, I could have doubled my salary. I could have tripled it. So I think by month three into lashing, after my first class, 
I've already had this mindset like, okay, it's only January and my school year ends in May, but I think this will be my only first and last year doing preschool teaching because I just saw a bigger picture with lashes more than teaching preschoolers, which, you know, it's a selfless job and I do love it. But honestly, the the lifestyle that I want to live, the financial freedom that I am trying to reach for, it couldn't have been done with just teaching preschool. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of people in our industry, especially the the story you describe is I feel more rare, right? Like, especially when you look back at people that have been in the industry a long time, it took them a while to get to where you are. Is there anything you feel that really helped set you up for success and help you achieve those goals faster? What helped me achieve the goals that a lot of people found unbelievably to be able to be do to do is having that mindset that if you really want it, you can get it done. Like there is no specific timeline. There's no need to wait for a certain amount of years to start teaching others, to have your own product line, to even open a salon. So I kind of wanted to be setting my own standard. I wanted to know that if I have the finance to do all these things, why not? And if there's a demand for it, why not? So I took a lot of risks, even though it may not like had known the return on investment. What made me the way that I am now or the way that my business is now is being a risk taker. I agree with that. I was as well. And sometimes it doesn't make sense to people. Um, but I feel like that's a quality in a lot of entrepreneurs that ends up being a blessing and sometimes also a curse. Is there any mistakes that you feel like you made on the way when you were climbing in your career? I think the biggest financial mistake would be not knowing how to properly like open a salon up or doing a better um, research on who to hire, especially for contractors, because I feel um, those who want to do or build their own salon, they need to do a lot more research. And for me, it was just more so, I'm so excited. I just want to get this done. So that was my first salon. Now moving on to my second salon, I have more experience in it. So I am a lot more careful with my finances and learn that just because the money is there doesn't mean that it is there to be spent on. Um, so I am definitely a lot more knowledgeable in that realm. And that was part of the mistake that I've made opening my first salon. Very common, very common for salon owners to jump right in. You know, they're great artists. They're like, okay, I'm ready to have someone help me. It's so hard to run a salon. There's so many parts of it from building a culture to hiring to knowing when to hire and the money aspect of it, financial literacy, it's it's huge. And I made those same mistakes whenever I first opened my salon. And now I feel like it, it is those mistakes that ended up helping me and so many other people learn how to do it the right way. I feel like another quality I'm hearing from you is you act and then you kind of assess and then you'll refine. Um, is that accurate? Honestly, yeah, you described me pretty well. It's like the qualities of a risk taker. You know what? I'll deal with the consequences later. Let me just get this done and I will learn from my experiences. I really don't take failure as a big um, 
oopsie. I think I think of failing as a way to learn and become better. And then if you are a mentor for someone in the future, you have all of this experience that you're able to share with them. And that's why, you know, being a mentor is just something that I am so grateful for and to help others prevent the mistakes that I've made. Exactly. And I think that's a big reason too why there are artists that join the industry today that end up getting to um, really high quality work and achieving their dreams even faster than people that started a long time ago because the education's getting better. We have more people like yourself stepping up to help newbies out. Um, and it's really cool to see that it, it's not going to take years and years to get to where you want to be. It can be done pretty quickly. And I think you're a great example of that. Thank you. And I'm only able to like do this because I mean, you surround yourself and I surround myself with people like entrepreneurs that have the same mindset and the same ambitions. Um, So surrounding yourself with a group of people that not only support you, but also have the same goals or level of ambition really drives you to work harder, um, see results faster. And yeah, this community is all great. Even though I never met anyone in person, um, the online connection is just as strong. Mm-hmm. So I also want to ask about the in any business owner's life, the personal life and um, professional life are kind of blended. You're a mother. Um, how do you juggle all of that? I'm sure you get that question all the time. But do you have any advice that you can give to somebody who's who who does have children or who is hoping to have children? I think. What helps me the most is having a very supportive partner who takes on his role as a father. And we're doing things 50-50. If we're both working, the children are in daycare. Since I've worked in daycare all my life and I've actually taught a preschool, I have all trust in the people who um, take care of my children. So being able to do a job like this, being an entrepreneur, I need help. And I am able to give away my children um, to those that I trust, either if it's my law or daycare. And it is, I guess, sometimes controversial to give your kids out too early to daycare. But I feel that child education or early childhood education is so important. So not only are they getting the attention and the Um, developmental needs that they could get at daycare, but I'm also getting the time and the freedom to work on the business and other aspects of my business when my kids are not around me. So it's a, it's a win-win situation. And my husband's great. He, he helps me so much and we're able to find a work-life balance with each other and also employees also help. Yeah, I really, uh, I feel the same, you know, and I think it's important that mothers who are working, maybe who are feeling guilt or something, they realize they're putting in something. It's also for their family, all of this time that they're taking away from their kids. And there's something to be said too about the quality of the time when you do have your kids. If you, let's say you don't put them in a program or daycare or something and you're with them all the time, how is that affecting you and how you parent, right? It's um, it's important that we take time for our businesses, for ourselves as well. Do you do you take any time for self-care? I know you must be super, super busy, but do you do anything outside of work and outside of family life that you feel helps you be a better business owner and better parent? 
I feel I'm very simple when it comes to self-care. I get my facial once a month. It's non-negotiable. I think what I'm lacking on is getting more body massages. But my way of relaxation is watching Netflix. And if I'm home, I'm not on my phone. I'm watching my shows and catching up on my nonfiction shows, which I love. And I um, that's how I relax. I think that's giving me more creativity when I watch more shows or documentaries. Um, that can help benefit my life. And mm. yeah, so that's a hobby of mine. I watch a lot of TV and I started to work out again. I don't have another hobby. Lashes was a hobby, but now it's it's my career. So I do have to find a different hobby to work on. <laughs> well, do you feel like your business is, you're so passionate about it that it almost is your fun time as well? No, definitely. Like sometimes I would just want to lash for fun because. Mm doing the other parts of my business, I don't take clients full-time anymore. I take very little clients. Mm-hmm. I have an itch for lashing one day. I just lash one of my employees. I, I feel the exact same. <laughs> I'm like, I need hobbies, but also I just love this so much. It's the best. Um, so going to, you're a trainer. Um, what are some of the biggest style mistakes that you see in beginners that you can maybe touch on? here style mistakes I mean if I were to scroll on my Instagram I could see some common issues I think it has to do a lot with eye shaping and eye mapping um not doing like cookie cutter sets on your clients because I as a beginner myself I used to think whatever numbers I see or links I see or curl I see will look the exact same on my current client that comes and asks for me ask me for this set but it's not going to look the same. So what I see beginners is trying to achieve the same look that they saw online um, on their client and expecting it to look the same when it just probably would not complement your client's eyes at all. That's a really good tip. Yes. And when it says the map sizes in there, that of course you, you can tailor that to your client like up or down. Yes. So it has to do with all individualizing your sets to your clients. And if the beginners are not taking a well-taught, thorough beginner's class, um, they won't know how to style someone's eyes to make it look the best and enhance the natural beauty. Um, I'm all for enhancing natural beauty or just altering it and making an illusion. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why I want to teach. I want to teach. So beginners or anyone who's in the lash industry feels more confident in what sets or what style they're going to provide to the client, any client that walks into the door. So in a beginner's course, do you ever run into this idea that because there is so much information in the lash industry and the brain can only retain so much, especially when it's like you're in that setting of learning for hours and hours and hours Physically, the brain can only retain so much. Do you ever run into where you feel like you're battling that? And did the student really grasp everything that I wanted to download into her brain? Um, I think that there was a pretty, um, I wouldn't say viral, but in in our industry, there was someone who posted about that, that all beginner courses can be seen as like, oh, this wasn't enough. You know, when they go and take more and more courses, they're like, I didn't learn this. And it's like, actually, you might have. You may just not remember it. 
Do you have anything to say about that? Luckily for my students, they, um, whenever they need help, they can ask me and I put a full like manual, very detailed manual for them where if they do have questions, I just let them know, you know, I'll help you, but you can also refer back to your manual for beginners class. I do think it's a lot of information overload, but I feel it is how the instructor is teaching as well. If you are not, I guess, adding all these variations to the topics that are not important, the students get the information down a lot sooner. Does that make sense? Yes. Just get straight to the point. I've done two-day beginner courses for the last three and a half years, and I have beginner students who do not take an advanced class until a year in with me again. So I... For my curriculum, I am very confident in it. I I can't say the same about others because I've never taken another beginner's course. But if that's the issue, then I feel us as educators in this community will definitely have to step up our game and know exactly the important curriculum to teach beginners. And that the beginner's class is very foundational. You don't really have to talk so much about layering, recipes, texture. Those are not all important until they get the foundation down. And my students know that. And I make it clear. There's a disclaimer. If you want to do more advanced training, you could after you get more comfortable with the basics of isolating, pickup, direction. Those are the more important things in the beginner's class. Yes, it's it sounds like you lean into the fact that you already know this is the stuff you have to get down first before we move on to other things and making sure to tell your artists that too because that could be a big reason why some people feel oh my beginner's course wasn't great and they can honestly probably be right we don't know what classes they took but that I felt like every comment was agreeing with the person that it was Jamie lash based Jamie he he was like unpopular opinion this and this and I was like actually yeah that that is a good point but I like the way that you describe how you go about teaching beginners knowing that is true Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people, I mean, there's so many free education there right now that anybody can basically claim to be a lash educator and teach like someone in their neighborhood. And then that someone in the neighborhood eventually will say their beginner's course was not great because it's a domino effect. You know, one teacher, one person, they think that this is their standard. So they just raise the standard just a little bit, but that's still not high enough. Mm. So- I'm thinking about it like standard wise, like if a lot of people are below this standard line, the only thing that they're used to or seeing the norm of is whatever that's below the line. And I feel like the comments that you're seeing are the people that are below this line of standard Mm. when it comes to their beginner's course. I think it also might have to do with proximity. People wanting to learn lashes for the first time are only going somewhere that's right down the street from them or they're really only looking in there. They're not really thinking, I'm going to invest money to actually take a travel training with someone that I know is amazing at teaching beginners. So you might just be taking a training with somebody that just slaps trainer on their bio and they're really not knowing how to teach beginners like you're describing that has, I think, a lot to do with it. I think people don't start investing in mm-hmm. their careers until they're well into their careers. So then naturally they're feeling like, okay, well, yeah, my beginner training was nothing like this because actually probably that might be the case. And to be honest, I'm one of those people who just went to 
a local class two hours away paid $700 for a one-day classic course, but I am not going to blame it solely on the class itself. Those who really want to grow their knowledge and become a better artist, even after taking a, you know, crappy lash course, if they really wanted, I think they would start to save up and invest because you cannot blame your level of skill on your poor training. It has to do a lot with discipline and understanding that you can get better if you do more research, if you practice and I guess self-discover in a sense, because that was me. I was very motivated and decided, okay, you know, this class is okay, but I know if I want to thrive, I'm going to have to explore and experiment on random people and eventually save enough money to pay for my next $2,000 investment course. The people who just took their beginner's course and didn't enjoy it, if they could see the future of flashing in their life, I, I really truly believe that they should invest into a, a, another foundational course. Good point. I really like that. I think, um, sometimes like bigger brands, like they often have online stuff even too. So even if you don't have the money to go travel somewhere to finish up those foundational holes, maybe that your first class didn't have, then even just looking for some really quality online courses as well. Um, But also there's an element of just like practicing and practicing and practicing. As you're starting to build your clientele, it's easy to get discouraged that there's not just people lining up waiting to book with you. Is there something that you recommend? Like, let's say you were building your clientele again today. Um, I know you're not currently like taking clients or have a big clientele, but back when you were doing that, do you feel like you would just copy and paste what you did back then? Can you give any tips to somebody who's still in that stage? For me, I live by University of Arizona. And so I was imagining my ideal clientele at the time. My prices were pretty low and I had just finished college and there's this college right next to me. So the first thing I did after my first class was message any sorority girl I could find or any girl that went to the University of Arizona that lived eight minutes from me and sent them a message letting them know my promotional price. I had in my mind, even if I 50, sorry, even if I had messaged 50 girls in a day, if I could at least just get one or two people to come and book with me and enjoy their lash set, they are my walking billboard. And that is exactly what happened. For three days straight or four days straight, I had messaged over 300 girls in my area. The same message, but make it personalized with their name. And I had gotten 10 girls out of the 200 people I messaged. And that got my books fully filled by third month of flashing. And that was because when you're in a sorority, your sorority sisters will want to see where you got your lashes from and book with that person. And if you're in in their budget, Mm -hmm. which you want beginner they're more likely more likely going to come to you did your clientele get older as you got better um, and you raised your prices or did it stay um, young it definitely got older I had a few sorority students or that still came to me with my price raise and the thing that altered 
my brain chemistry with lashes was when a fellow lash artist in Arizona had came to me and she told me she almost, and she was an older woman too. She said she wouldn't have um, come to me because my prices were too low for the work quality that I was putting out. And so she was kind of saying she was a little suspicious on why my pricing was so low when my work quality was this high. And that just altered my brain current mystery and to say, and to think like there are clients who are willing to pay me this much for my work. So why aren't I raising my prices more often when I'm booked? Oh yeah. She almost didn't want to come to me because I was quote unquote too cheap. So I raised my price. It's definitely, it can, for some people, definitely not be a good look to be too low or to offer discounts a lot too. It's like, what is going on in there to where you're not retaining the people you have? And why do you have to keep on discounting to get more new people? And that's little worrisome. I totally can see that. Um, I, I feel like as an artist grows in their skill set, their clientele also just starts to get older. It's just such an interesting phenomenon. But yeah, as you start raising your prices, it's almost like all of your branding and your voice and just your policies and just the way you carry yourself professionally, it grows up too. And then your clients also naturally are getting older at the same time. But I find that we have, um, like in our salon specifically, we have more of the 40s and above uh, Mm -hmm. coming to us. Very little... 30s and below. Um, wow. So I just thought that that was interesting because I started out, as you're saying, just a bunch of 18-year-olds, 20-year-olds, and yeah, mm-hmm. just interesting. Okay, now you have the new generation. Yeah. People. That's what I'm saying. It's like I think of lash industry as like attending, you know, your elementary to middle school, high school, and college, and you now graduate. Now you have like an MBA or a mm-hmm. PhD in lashing, and that's mm-hmm. what you have. Shelby, you have your PhD in lashing already. You don't need to take these um, younger clientele unless they have, you know, that income to pay the price that you set. But even for my salon, we don't have a lot of older 40 year olds and stuff. We have a, a really good mix. Honestly, teenagers come in, they have prom. So we've been getting more teenagers to come in, even though our prices are a little bit, you know, twice the size, uh, twice the price of the average mm. in and we have like as old as 60s or 70s come to us too it's a really good mix that is really good um how how would you say owning a salon has been for you so far is there anything that has surprised you as you've hired or just had to manage people um I definitely cannot micromanage I don't like micromanaging that's what um I learned and that's why I hired, or not hired, but I promoted two of my artists to be managers. So I didn't think that I would ever have managers in a salon. I thought I would be the manager, but I hired two. So <laughs> that's surprising to me. And um, to say that salons, not yet, because we're still a baby salon. We don't generate like as much revenue after paying, you know, payroll as much as people assume salons do. Do you agree with that? Completely. Yeah, it's pretty common. I enjoy having a team. I'm sure you do too. I think going into your work environment to call it yours and to have people you see every day that share the same passion and become like friends to even like family-like relationships. Like I enjoy that. 
I also think what you just said, though, has a lot to do with how well you pay your team because there are salon owners that are are making. Oh, yeah. You know, but they're just not paying people well. But I'm sure they have a heap load of problems with turnover and just satisfaction and all of that, too, um, because that would cause a lot more problems than you just having a really slim profit margin. Oh, yeah. I was able to um, pay my artists more because of the income from the trainings that I do and the product line. I was um, able to be that generous boss, which I would have like completely loved if I ever to work for myself to be as generous as um, I am right now. And they let me know almost every day that they're really grateful. I have no turnovers. I have girls that stay with me for two plus years now, ever since I've opened. So my apprentice is still with me after two and a half years. And she just messaged me last night, like 12 a.m., letting me know that she would launch Canva, creating policies and everything for me without me even asking her. So like having those type of people in my team makes me super blessed and keeps me motivated to become like a better boss. Mm -hmm. I think if people are treated well, which it sounds like you you've got and they're paid well and they can grow with the company and it's welcomed if they have another skill that they want to bring instead of you saying no I got it I'm going to be the manager I'm going to do everything that um, appeals to people and it sounds like you've also created this environment that you probably would like to be in yourself so I think anyone who's looking into salon ownership you got to know it's more about like being a leader than anything instead of just expecting that to be your golden ticket to making more money or retirement or anything, because it's really not like that, um, yeah. especially if you're going to pay people well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The three things I will like probably let the listeners know is um, if you do hire employees, the three things that they may want to like that, that will determine if they will stay with you or not is just the location, right? Do they love it? How do they feel when they're in the environment? Number two is the money and the pay. And number three, you as the owner. They need to love all those three things for them to be your golden goose. But if you just have two out of the three, you know, they may stay, but not uh, too long. And if you only have one out of those three things, they're not going to stay long. Right. Who would? Who would? I wouldn't. Yeah. Sure. So we kind of touched on like a misconception with being a salon owner is that, you know, you think you might, it might be a super profitable business. Um, is there any other misconceptions you feel from the roles that you're in, like as a trainer or as a brand owner? Is there anything that might surprise listeners to hear? Yeah. So as a trainer, I was trying to get the itch out of travel training. And I think ever since January and traveling, I am done. Like next month is my last time I'm going to travel to do any trainings. If I do travel, it'll just be for pleasure and not business. Mm. It's a little more tiring than you think. Um, I think it's because having kids, being a trainer and wanting to do all these lavish trainings outside of your hometown sounds great and all. But nobody tells you how much time you have to spend to even do that. So that's a misconception, I would think. If they didn't, if I didn't see other trainers um, create such a lavish lifestyle with going to train outside of state, I probably 
wouldn't have uh, done it. It's so funny. I've seen that a lot in our industry. People, they build up their training career and then they're like, uh, you can travel to me now. <laughs> I'm not going to travel anymore. Yeah. The demand is there. You're going to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about having a product line? What surprised you most about that? I think when I do show the amount of tweezers that go to waste when they don't pass my testing test, people are surprised of how many tweezers go to waste and that we don't sell. Mm. And um, a lot of the flash brands that I see now do have their own tweezer line, but I um, think they don't show the amount of money wasted on tweezers that don't work. So I think the tweezers are one of the ones that are the hardest to come by. And it's harder than you think. How much time would you say you spend on man, like quality control and inventory and making sure there's not these big gaps in, um, you know, whenever something's out of stock or something? I'll be honest here. I'm not the best with keeping up with inventory. And even if I do, there's always a like curveball thrown at me where import closes or the manufacturer goes on vacation and everything's pushed out. So at this point, I have a warehouse manager who helps me with inventory and she'll message me when we are at a certain quantity, which is considered a low quantity and um, time for me to order Mm -hmm. my things. But when I was just working alone, I was not great at it. Yeah. It was just too much to handle. Yeah. I'm sure it's very time consuming and um, I think even managing inventory for a salon is hard sometimes. So I don't want to do inventory anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely a task. Um, so I think we might have already answered this. And if we did, we can move on. But um, what are some of the biggest investments you've made in yourself or just your last career in general? Biggest investment on myself was more so education. Going to beauty school, that $12,000 beauty school, really helped to find that framework of like being a beauty owner and having a great experience in the beauty school I went to really gave me uh, a look into the future of what I really want to do to have a sustainable career. And that is hopefully in the future, open up a beauty school in my hometown and That was my biggest investment. I enjoyed everything, not just learning how to lash, but being able to do all the other services that I'm able to teach my new employees. If they didn't attend a nice beauty school, it was okay because if it comes to my salon, I'm able to teach them brow waxing, laminations, facials. So because I do enjoy doing those beauty services, I would love to open up a beauty school in the future. On the other hand, what are some of the more costly like mistakes you've made in each of your lines of business, product line, training, and salon ownership? Training is when I do group trainings, a costly mistake is renting out a room at a hotel. Those are costly, especially if you don't have a lot of students to begin with. So your profit margin is not as high. So I wish I had another like multi-purpose room that I could have used when I first started lashing or learn how to do like negotiations to pay less for the room that I'm renting. That's a costly mistake. Costly mistake for lash product line. 
I would say packaging. I think when I first started a product line, I wanted it to be whole and full. So I went all out on like printing out the corrugated boxes and it was a lot of money at that time. And I just felt like if I had waited until my product line got a little bigger and then invested in more like those cute boxes, I could have invested in other products mm-hmm. and not just boxes. And for the salon, I think we mentioned like just learning how to research contractors better and not just going by like the first person that my parents know and use them. So yeah, that was a costly mistake because now my floors are all like rising and I have to redo them. Yeah. I had a really sketchy contractor with my first salon as well. Um, and then I got lucky. The salon I have now is like a second generation. They used to be the massage studio. So we kind of just moved right in and painted, but that's such a big thing. And also when you're building a space out, it's almost never as it's never, um, done as quickly as they say it's going to be. And additionally, it's, there's always, you have to plan for possibly it to cost more than what, um, you anticipated to. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely setting a budget and letting the contractor know that you want to contract. Mm, Yes. I did now my second salon contractor. I have a contract with him. We have a timeline. If he tells me eight weeks, I'm going to be like, okay, it's more like 12 weeks, but okay. (laughs) Yeah. So going back to your salon, your team, the culture, the vibe, what are some simple experience enhancements um, that you can recommend an artist do for their clients in their space? With my employees, I let them know that even if the client comes in with wash lashes, just wash them. That's, that's part of a luxury service, right? And that's what I want to promote through like online community as well. Like if you're charging a premium price, offer a premium service. Every time they come in, always repeat the same thing. How are you? Would you like to use a restroom after they finish? Would you like to have a cup of water? Do you need to use a restroom again before your long drive home? So I let my employees know, continuously ask questions because clients Sometimes they're timid or sometimes they don't want to feel like a burden or a bother. So it's in our, like, it's our responsibility to make them feel as comfortable as possible by asking them questions and initiate anything. Mm. Even as simple as do you want a blanket or anything under the knees? Because a lot of times they won't ask for that either. Mm -hmm. We always have a bolster and we let them know, do you want a bolster today? It's already on the bed and the blanket is so, so easy to grab. And they know it's all accessible there. Having a very comfortable pillow as well enhances the treatment and not just laying flat or in one of the more harder pillow um, that you may see online. We really value being comfortable, not just comfortable lash application, but comfortable like ergonomics of how your your, um, clients are laying on the bed. So let's say somebody's not yet charging premium prices and they want to get there. Um, maybe they feel like their work is not there yet and they shouldn't be charging that much. What is a little roadmap you can lay out for a beginner artist or someone that is looking to one day raise their prices? So if you're a beginner listening to my podcast, hello. Um, I 
would recommend you to take on as many models as possible, but have them give you back some sort of like um, benefit. So you're benefiting them with lower free lashes. Make sure you're having them cross promote you by posting about your business online and sharing their face online in order for them to get a free fill. So you could probably market your sets half off and a free fill if they do all of these checklists that you want them to do, whether it's promote and refer a friend and you get a free fill or post me on your story once a day for a week and tag me for a free fill. So make the, make your models work for that free fill because even though you don't get paid for that fill, you're getting paid in advertisement. And that's the thing now. Everybody wants advertisement and they would only buy from people and trust people who talk more about it, like their friends and family. So once you get that, you start to build this sense of FOMO that people, you know, I know people are afraid of fear of missing out. So they're afraid of missing out on lashes with you. And when you post your calendar, don't post all of your availability. Keep crossing out the available times that you have, even if it's ghost times. Even if you know you weren't originally going to work at 10 a.m., put that down anyways and cross it out. Because once people start to see how many, quote unquote, people are booking with you, then you start to create this fear of missing out. And now they want to book with you. So as long as you you let people know that you're in demand and showcase that you are getting booked, you could raise your prices. Mm. And all the while you're getting better because you're practicing and you're doing more sets because hopefully that is also happening. Because yeah, you're doing your free fills while getting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I saw a post actually today saying there are too many people that say don't be above doing a free set or something when you're first starting out. And I still agree with that. That is something that I did all the time. And uh, like you were saying, you messaged a bunch of girls. I used to do that in my hometown too, not necessarily from a college or something, but just people I knew from high school, I just would reach out and it worked for me. They posted about me, what you're saying. They either left a review or made a post and it worked. It, I would say very quickly. And um, I, I don't think anyone should be above that. You need the practice anyway. Yeah. And who's, who are you to tell someone that they shouldn't give free sets? You don't know their situation. You don't know what's behind closed doors. You don't know their expenses. And you really don't know what their goal, what their financial goal is. So if I see someone offering a free set, I know, yes, they may not be getting that income that other artists are getting, but I know they're um, gaining so much more. They're gaining the experience that they want. Yes. And also if you're going into it like kind of willy nilly versus, okay, like I'm really going to work on my isolation. I'm really going to work on seamless bonding and or better shaping or I'm going to try the layering thing. That's Mm -hmm. kind of investing in yourself. It's actually putting you farther ahead than, okay, you didn't take any free services, but you're just sitting there waiting for someone to book. And then when they do book, your work is going to still be down here. Yes. Yeah. 
another day with no model is another day wasted, especially if you're trying to grow. And in my mindset, I'm like, okay, if you're paying someone $2,500 for two-day training, a fourth of that class is probably you working on a model and you're not getting paid for that. You're paying someone else for you to practice lashes on. So why can't that be the same when you're done with your class? Mm. Why can't you continue investing your time and energy into a free set and just switch up that mindset? Think not, oh, you're not making money, but this is a continued investment on your time and your skills, gaining that practice and potentially a long life client, a long-term client. So we just got off of, uh, I did Lash Pro Summit this past weekend and we had a I'm so sad I couldn't go. I had a I had a wedding, but I had um, Mo message me. She wanted me to come out as her guest. And I was like, I wish, but it looked like a lot of fun. And congratulations on that summit. Thank you. It went so well. I'm so happy with it. But I couldn't believe how many people were so receptive to the raising prices um, topics and had so many questions about raising their prices. And I almost was hearing... Well, I am already charging the most in my area or there's not a lot of people in my area. So it it was almost this fear of stepping up to be that premium place. Um, can you speak to that at all? And maybe why somebody may fear take, you know, taking that step and just going for it. I think there's a lot of things that people are fearful of when raising their prices is, you know, the number one thing is they're scared that their clients are going to leave them. And if they do have some long-term clients, they're wondering if they want to grandfather them in. And another fear is looking as if you're too above other artists in your area. I think that's one of the things that I, I've like heard of from my other students. They don't want to raise their prices because they're already the highest and they don't want to raise it even more to where they're double than the second highest um, charging lash artists because they just don't it's just pride you know they're scared of uh looking too prideful and it's either losing clients or looking too prideful yeah i i also think sometimes people in general like maybe they don't feel worthy of success or love or whatever it is that you know wow. you're telling yourself too and you don't have you could work smarter not harder and it it's, you shouldn't feel guilty about that. And especially if you're investing in yourself and you're going to conferences or classes or watching Instagram reels on lashing as you're going to bed, it's those are all little little investments that you're taking. And so why not? Um, why not charge more? I, I do think that lashes are a luxury service. We get that to, I don't know if you saw um, Jamie's post about where are you from and how much do you charge? If you read the comments. It blew up on TikTok. That's where I saw it. They're like 340 for a set. And like people are paying it. People are paying it. I mean, people are buying $100,000 cars over a $2,000 used car. There's going to be people out there paying whatever money they want because they just have it. That's their norm. You know, it may not be a norm for everyone, but there is a niche for those type of, uh, paid sets. We covered so much ground today. Um, what is on the horizon for your company companies? Well, we're three entities now with education services and products for the services. We have a second salon coming out and that's going to be 
a warehouse as well. So that plays a big part in the product line. I'm able to come out with so many more Blush products that I wasn't able to carry due to uh, space. And we are aiming to be more eco-friendly and we're switching up our packaging. We've already started to implement no plastic in our salon. So that's why all of our iPads and foam tapes are not in plastic containers. They're all paper containers or paper boxes. And that's what we're aiming for. I think Mish Aesthetics in the end of this year and so forth, we're going to become more eco-friendly and have more biodegradable packaging. That's exciting to hear. It's it's I love seeing that in a brand. It's awesome. So if anyone wants to connect with you or buy product, purchase a training, how can they do that? Well, you can find me online on Instagram and my handle is at mish.aesthetics and my online is mishaesthetics.com. You could find products there, training information, and booking an appointment with me. And I'm located in Cerritos, California, just between LA and Orange County. 